This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 13th of November 2021 on Monocle 24. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up in the next half an hour, Russia analyst Stephen Diel joins me to flick through the day's newspapers. Plus, we hear from our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. Have they warned you about the bad reaction you might get, she asked. No, I said, scanning for potential escape routes. Yes, lots of people seem to be sick of their mixing vaccine manufacturers, like you are. I was really bad after my booster, she said. This was not helpful, but I had another more pressing issue to clear up first, my phobia of needles. And Monocle's contributing editor Andrew Muller rounds up what we learned this week. This was not the only failure to think through consequences of impetuous action of which we learned, as we also ended up learning quite a lot about the extracurricular interests of British members of Parliament. That's all ahead here on Monocle on Saturday on Monocle 24. Two weeks of UN COP26 climate talks in Glasgow blew past a deadline on Friday as the conference president called on countries to make a final push to secure commitments that would rein in the rising temperatures that threaten the planet. With a deal now expected sometime today, there remains tough talking to be done on issues such as the phasing out of fossil fuel subsidies, carbon markets and financial help for poor countries to tackle climate change. U.S. President Joe Biden will hold a virtual meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping on Monday, the White House said. Talks Washington hopes will create some stability amid increased tensions between the world's two largest economies. It's expected to be the leader's most extensive meeting under the Biden administration. U.S. officials believe direct engagement with Xi is the best way to prevent ties spiralling towards conflict. And the United States and other Western powers have expressed grave concern over the appointment of a new Sudanese ruling council by the general who led last month's coup, saying it complicated efforts to restore a transition to democracy. The US, Britain, Norway, the European Union and Switzerland also urged the security services to respect the right to freedom of speech without fear of violence or detention ahead of protests set for today by critics of the army's move. I'm Georgina Godwin, and that's your Monocle 24 News. Well, now it's time to have a browse through this morning's newspapers, and I'm pleased to say that joining me in the studio is Stephen Diel, who's a writer, a broadcaster, and a Russia analyst. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning, Georgina. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Uh, have you had your booster jab? I've got it next week. I had to. The, the rule in the UK was that you could have your booster, booster jab six months but no sooner than after your second jab. And uh, mine was on May the 18th, so I become eligible on November the 18th and I'm booked in for November the 21st. Excellent. And I mean, as we, we got an inkling of what Andrew Tuck is going to be talking about, I think he's a bit sort of needle phobic. <laughs> Are you the same? Uh, I'm, I think, I'm, I think it's, a, it's a sort of man thing. I don't think we like needles having stuck into as many of us weak men. Um, so I, I'll have it done, but I will look the other way. I will talk. I will talk about all sorts of things to the person doing it. And they'll go, you know, a little scratch coming up. And, and, and I just talk and talk and talk. And then I say, oh, 
Oh, oh, have you done it? Oh, all right. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, and I know it's not going to hurt. I know it's nothing really. But um, yeah, no, I'll, you know, I'll get it done because um, it's the sensible thing to do. Absolutely. But there is so much conflicting opinion about this out there, isn't there? And of course, the papers do cover uh, both the vaccination and the, the disease that makes it necessary quite extensively. What have we got today? Oh, it's, um, it's let's start with the FT. It's front page news on the FT about the, the headline being Dutch impact another lockdown as Austria plans curbs as Austria plans curbs for unvaccinated so they're immediately bringing in two European countries uh, the Netherlands and Austria um, apparently the, the the Dutch are not happy about the fact that they are being told that um, starting next week they're going to have three weeks where they will have uh, a curfew on restaurants and bars they will have to close at eight o'clock in the evening um, the people who haven't got in, in um, vaccinations are going to have to uh, stay at home um, in Austria as well the um, Austrian Chancellor said uh, those who had not been jabbed would have to stay at home from Monday I don't see, I don't see why two-thirds of the population I'm quoting should lose their freedom because another third hesitates he added um, it appears, uh, from all the evidence, um, the uh, New York Times supports this as well, going into Germany. Fourth wave grips Germany, a front-page headline on the New York Times this morning, um, that on in continental Europe, um, cases are rising. Um, Britain, I think, for once, is resisting the temptation to um, present itself as, as the cleverest country in the world because... Here in the past week, um, the, the um, rate of infection has dropped. A week ago, one in every fifty people um, apparently had COVID. Um, sorry, I beg your pardon. One in yeah, one in every fifty, and now it's one in every sixty. Um, so we've dropped. But um, Boris Johnson, for once, seems to be talking a bit of sense and saying, I, I, "Well, I, 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 I don't get don't get carried away." Um, and there is still talk. People are worried. Well. Last year, we were told a week before Christmas, we couldn't have Christmas, as it were. We couldn't have a family Christmas. People weren't allowed to get together. Um, people are just talking a little bit about that and saying, well, you know, whatever's going on now, will we actually be have, having a, a, a family Christmas this year? And I don't think anyone's putting any money on it one way or the other because it still could leap up and bite us badly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there were suggestions uh, when, when that... Uh when we saw that increase in in October, that the government was putting off having another lockdown because of COP26 and that the minute the conference is over, in fact, we might see uh, more more action. But with, with the rate dropping, that's probably unlikely. We might see more action with the rate dropping is unlikely. But on the other hand, with 25,000 having people gathered together in Glasgow, it will be very interesting to see... Um, in Glasgow and that area of Scotland, if there is a if there is a rise, to be mm. honest, um, you know you've got people coming in from all over the world after eighteen months of, of very limited uh, global travel, and suddenly you've had this huge group of people together. Um, that, that's something that they'll be looking out for very carefully to see. You know, is is there a rise there? And if so, there may be some sort of local lockdown. I'm, I'm sure that Glaswegians are, um, are are looking nervously at, at what's happened, and they'll be they from that point of view will be glad to see um, COP26 over and everyone going home. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we'll look at COP26 a little bit later in the program because, of course, as we heard in the headlines, no resolution yet. There is one expected this afternoon, but you know, people aren't holding out a great deal of hope. Anyway, let. Let's hear from Andrew Tuck uh, and his vaccination experience. We just made some promotions at the magazine. Josh Fennett takes a position of editor. 
Nolan Giles is coming back to London from Zurich to be executive editor. Nick Manise is stepping up to be deputy design editor. And Colotta Rebello will be heading to Lisbon in 2022 to set up our new outpost in the city. Three of these people, Josh, Nick and Carlotta, all joined our company as interns and all have been star turns. After Josh completed his internship, there was no immediate journalistic role to take, so he ended up working on the front desk, answering readers' calls, delivering the post, organising couriers. So he's made a pretty impressive climb up the masthead, showing all the nimbleness of an alpine goat. And this is still a good route into Monocle. Internships, that is, not scree-covered paths. Our new researcher, Carolina, started with us as an intern just a few months ago. But how would we run an effective intern programme if nobody was in the office? How would you get people to simply be around as decisions about editing, making a page are made? How could you make the process of learning a simple one and hopefully fun too, and also one that leaves new hires with supportive friendships, sage mentors, and a good network. Back in the midst of time, this was also my route into journalism. I had no contacts, no experience, certainly no fancy education, just a certain single-mindedness. I applied for every job going, and with no luck. I failed to get a foothold on a slimming magazine, a society magazine, and also on Row Row News, a title aimed at the roll-on, roll-off freight operator. Well, it seemed to come with the promise of regular travel to Singapore, and I did actually get an interview for that one at least. In the end, I went the internship route, and was taken in by Time Out. I was a terrible writer, a poor editor, but by watching, being around people, listening, I was able to get going. This is just one of the many reasons why I'm pleased that Monocle is not a group of remote workers, but a team that comes together in the office. Sure, every day there are lots of people who are travelling, out reporting, perhaps finishing a story from home, but it's a proper team. This week there have been reports about the trouble brewing at magazine company Hearst Operations in the US. The firm has told people to return to the office to work for one day a week from now on, rising to three days a week in 2022, and this has triggered much anger and legal action from the union representing staff on magazines such as Cosmopolitan. After months of working from home, people don't want to come back. It's also one of those standoffs that reminds you of the downsides of working in a very large media company. The utter lack of trust the general belligerence. But as an outsider, you do wonder how any of these, mostly US companies, will manage to hold on to any company culture, ever rebuild camaraderie, let alone open the door to people from ordinary backgrounds who want to find a job in media. This week, I had my COVID booster. The vaccination centre was run with incredible efficiency and even after all of these months of delivering jabs, the team seemed full of jollity. Except the woman tasked with giving me my injection. Have they warned you about the bad reaction you might get, she asked. No, I said, scanning for potential escape routes. Yes, lots of people seem to be sick if they're mixing vaccine manufacturers like you are. I was really bad after my booster, she said. This was not helpful, but I had another more pressing issue to clear up first, my phobia of needles. I explained that I would need to look away and would prefer not to see the needle at any point. 
Okay, she replied before changing the topic and asking me where I worked. I explained that I was a journalist for a magazine and she asked what topics we covered and then inquired, just as she was jabbing me, how it was faring in the current market. I was just starting to almost run her through the accounts when she said, no need to answer, I was only asking to distract you. As I put back on my jacket, she inquired where I was going next and I told her that I was en route to the office, you know, the one belonging to the magazine that you don't care about. Wow, you are confident, she said. I made sure to book a day off. Good luck. Was this the woman perhaps we needed to be our tough, straight-talking foreign editor? She certainly had Putin in a corner in no time. I was an immediate fan. Although she may be disappointed to know I had no side effects. Very many thanks there to Andrew Tuck and Stephen. You're giggling nervously. Are you going to take a day off? <laughs> well, I have deliberately chosen a date when I've got nothing in my diary for the following day. Yeah. <laughs> very just sensible. in case. Just in just case. In I, I felt a bit um, like flu-like after my very first jab. Fine after the second one. I'm nervous about what Andrew was saying there about, um, well, if you're mixing, because I'm not sure which one I'm going to have, and it may well be the one I didn't have before. Yeah. So we shall see. We shall see. Now, the other thing we're waiting to see, of course, is the outcome of COP26. Now, of third draft of a new global climate change agreement was released this morning. Many are hoping <coughs> excuse me, many are hoping that this time it will get through but of course it has to be approved by every single person who has to agree with every single word and I mean it's 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 tough to get this one over the line. It is and um, I want to be the first uh, journalist to call COP26 cop out. Um, those who don't, if they don't know the phrase in English, if you cop out of something, it means you 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 don't really make a decision. You take the easy route, and um, it really does seem to me. And uh, I'm not a prophet, but I, I really had no great hopes for this. Um, when you hear, heard Saudi Arabia saying, "Oh, you know, we'll try and get down to zero by 2050," and then India saying, "Well, we'll we'll do it by 2070," um, everyone accepts everyone who all the scientists accept the, the people who, who who know about these things except you know we're already in a crisis condition and to, to put it off f t till 2050 2070 whatever is, is you might as well say well we're not going to bother mm. um because mm. you know this is this is crucial it's interesting how in the papers um you know we mentioned that vaccinations and covid are on the front page again and you have to look inside the papers to find anything about cop it's as if People are sort of so fed up with it. You know, you would, I would have thought, I came in this morning sort of looking at the papers thinking, well, it'll be on the front page and the fact they've actually put the decision off for the, and the final draft um, uh, until today so that it's already in, in extra time. thought that would be a front page story. No. Um, let's take the um, New York Times. Uh, page seven. Page seven, and it starts with the, the, the main focus for that is the Glasgow um, refuse workers strike and picture of, of rubbish gathering and, and that there's been a plague of rats in Glasgow because, you know, just it just shows what a throwaway society we are. And there's 25,000 people talking about the climate and so on and, um, and, and how we should recycle and use things better and so on. And, and um, Glasgow refuse workers complaining about they're so underpaid and, and badly treated that they've actually gone on strike. Um, if we go to the FT, we go, have to go to page eight to find... Um, uh, a couple of stories. Uh, climate change talks go down to the wire as divisions persist um, and another showdown over fossil fuels phase out and saying main sticking points revolve around coal, oil, gas and financial support. Oh, did we not know that two weeks ago? <laughs> that was going to be the issue. And it, this is just what I find so staggering is that our world leaders 
uh, went into this knowing that those were the issues and we're coming out of it and they're saying those are the issues we still haven't really got an answer and there's a just to refer also to the times um the most relevant i thought uh, um piece on that is actually a cartoon um in inside page opposite the um, um the editorial page um it's got a, a picture of a scottish piper and his bagpipes are made up of a map of the world, a globe of the world. Uh, and it just says, COP26 Glasgow, a lament. Well, if a piper plays a lament, it's normally, you know, sort of funeral or something that uh, has gone badly wrong. Yeah, well, we're hoping for some good news from Glasgow sometime I admire, today. I admire your optimism, <laughs> Georgina. Uh, let's find out from Andrew Muller what else we learned this week. We learned this week how to make yourself unpopular in Wales, other than by criticising Shirley Bassey. Steady on. During last weekend's rugby match between Wales and South Africa, with scores tied at 15 each, a miscreant invaded the field amid a promising move by Wales, very plausibly costing them a crucial try in a game they went on to lose. The following audio does not quite, regrettably, convey the full rage of the crowd or the quantity of beer in which the scofflaw, once apprehended, was doused. But this was not the only failure to think through consequences of impetuous action of which we learned, as we also ended up learning quite a lot about the extracurricular interests of British members of Parliament. And we learned this, wondrously, directly because of the British government's maladroit efforts to prevent scrutiny of the extracurricular interests of British members of Parliament. long-serving Tory MP Owen Paterson accepted his 30-day suspension from the Commons after being rumbled lobbying for firms from whom he had been trousering a retainer, the affair might have blown over relatively quickly, like in about 30 days or so. Instead, the government laboured to protect him, as a result of which Paterson has resigned, occasioning a by-election which looms as tremendous fun for everyone but the government. The Prime Minister spent much of his globally broadcast COP26 press conference having to explain that his country is not institutionally bent. The UK is not remotely a corrupt country, nor do I believe that our institutions are corrupt. I I think it's very, very important to, to say that. Which is just one of those disclaimers you don't ever want to find yourself uttering right up there with it's not what it looks like, of which Boris Johnson may also have some experience. And press and public alike have taken a sudden interest in what else might have been hiding in the plain sight of the Register of Members' Interests. So we've learned, along with whom the people who are supposed to be working for us are actually working for, that if this government was a fire brigade, it would not only set its own station alight, but respond to the blaze by torching the entire street, encouraging the flames into the surrounding suburb, and then having the chief tell reporters that there had never been a fire in the first place. There's probably a pants on fire joke which ties this whole thing up nicely, but it looks encouragingly like this particular act of inadvertent arson may not have burned itself out just yet. 
so we'll save it. Moving from a monocarpic uproar to a hardy perennial, monocarpic means only flowers once do we have to do everything, also the plant motif is a brilliantly subtle wind-up for the next bit, pay attention, we learned that poppy kitsch may have achieved its ultimate expression. For it is that time of year at which the citizens of Britain once communicated their gratitude for the sacrifices of their military by solemnly sporting a subtle poppy pin in a lapel, but which has become a circus both gaudy and mawkish, with poppies emblazoned on merchandise of hotly debatable relevance and propriety. And this year we learned the actual official Royal British Legion shop was offering, at £39.99 a bottle, what was cheerfully branded as Pull the Pin Rum, with a grenade ring attached to the cork. No, don't. No, 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 don't. Please don't. Oh God, Andrew, no. Well, quite. We later learned that following an amount of social media response along the lines of lads, what are you doing, the beverage had been withdrawn from sale. But we also learned from checking just now that still freely available are poppy-themed dog bowls, gardening gloves, picnic wear, bow ties, hair ties, umbrellas and pomegranate hand cream. Good cause and all that, obviously, but we did learn that the Poppy Shop's webpage does have utility, if you log on at the right moment, in encouraging that two-minute silence at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, even if it is more of the aghast rather than respectful variety. Elsewhere on the civilizational decline front, we learned that there's a TV channel for dogs. Yes, very evocative. We learned that Dog TV, and well played on the name, those late night brainstorming sessions really can pay off, plans to charge 60 quid a year for dog themed programming, possibly even to be enjoyed by cosseted hounds as they lap from their poppy themed bowls. So what we've really learned is that some actual dog owners haven't learned that if what they really want is their pet's enthralled attention, all they really need to do is hang a biscuit on a string just out of reach, and that right there is 60 extra quid they can now spend on a poppy-themed collar, lead and basket, which would still leave nearly enough for a poppy-themed dog bandana. And we are not making any of this up. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Muller. Many thanks there to Andrew Muller. And if you want free dog TV, my Instagram has a video of my dog being very, very, very clever yesterday. Well, I can only say congratulations, um, <laughs> Georgina. I remember one time being in the studio when it was sniffing at my feet um, and I went to scratch my knee and it licked my fingers, which was... I, I thought I carried on pretty well, though. But, um, yeah, I've met your dog, yeah. 
That's said with a little bit of disapproval there, Stephen. I think we move on quite swiftly. Um, the other thing, of course, that Andrew was looking at uh, is Tory sleaze. And this has been really not far from our front pages for the last week. It does seem that, that even uh, papers that were very friendly towards the British uh, government, to, towards the Conservative Party, uh, are now turning against because I don't think there's been a single paper this week that hasn't picked up on the fact that there has been some truly reprehensible behaviour. Indeed. Um, I mean, I haven't got them in front of me today because it's not today's papers, but um, uh, the middle of the week, the, the Daily Mail and the Daily Express, which can always be guaranteed or normally be guaranteed to fly the flag for the Conservative Party and will... Uh, pretty well forgive anything they do we're actually saying come on boris you know this is this has gone too far you know what's going on get a grip um the most and these are front page headlines the most striking headlines i've ever seen i think against the conservative party from those two newspapers um but today's papers yeah as you say it hasn't gone away i mean this is this has been going on for at least two weeks um the uh, the, the times has effectively four pages in a row from page six, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, it starts with a big two-page spread. The parliamentary part-timers, at least 138 MPs with second job. Um, now, it, it's, it's a big question, should they have another job anyway? Um, because if you're an MP, you're probably working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, you know, it's a tough job to do properly. So how have they got time for something else? But it's not just that they've got time for something else. It's the fact that, A, they, they are often earning eye-wateringly large sums of money for this other job. And also there have been cases where they've broken the parliamentary rule, which is that if you do have another job, you are not allowed to uh, do any commercial work from your parliamentary office. And there are cases coming out, almost tripping over each other, to, uh, to suggest that this is happening. Um, as I say, there's four pages. You go on. The, the, I'll come back, actually, to the, to the Times, because I wanted to bring in, at this point, also the FT, which... Um, uh, says sleaze goes down badly with red wall MPs. Now, what happened at the last general election uh, in in uh, in Britain in 2019 was that um, a large number of constituencies in the Midlands and the North of England, which would normally be guaranteed to vote Labour, hence red, um, suddenly switched and voted Conservative. Um, and that's why Boris Johnson has a large, on the Conservative Party, has a large majority in Parliament. Um, but this in very interesting report on page two of the of the FT um, says that those MPs in that area from those red wall uh, constituencies are the ones who are up in arms because, of course, they've they've got in on the on the back of the mess the Labour Party was in. And now they're having to try and defend the Conservative Party. And they're saying, well, you know, yeah, we, you know, we actually are MPs and that's our job. and We don't do other jobs. Um, and how are we supposed to defend colleagues who are doing other things? Now, that leads on, if I may, leads back to the, the Times, um, because if we turn the page to uh, page, page eight, pages eight and nine, it then very that neatly dovetailed into into what the the uh, times is calling new blood v old guard in deepening tory civil war um so they're saying that this is actually causing a huge split in the conservative party and if we go to our old friend uh, matthew paris who uh, writes a very he's, he's not backward in coming forward as, as you know he's matthew, fantastic with his, <laughs> with his opinions and um my pen just where I'd marked it has just fallen out of the paper. But he has got a, um, it's got a, an opinion piece in the Times this morning, basically saying Johnson's time is running out. He he uses it as a um, uh, an analogy for a flight. 
Um, he says, you know, Flight Boris 2019 uh, is coming into land soon. <laughs> it's, it's a very amusing piece, and yeah. I'm sorry I've lost it, lost it for the moment. Matthew's a, Matthew's a wonderful, wonderful writer, isn't he? He's an extraordinary man. Oh, he is, yeah. Um, no, there we are. Can I just say the headline? Flight Bojo, 19, Flight Bojo 2019 has begun its final descent. <laughs> Well, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see because, of course, we've got the chief whip rebelling against and will there be some kind of no-confidence vote? Who knows? But watch the space. Uh, another space we should be watching, and let's just look at this briefly, is Steve Bannon uh, in, in, in the US because, of course, uh, he too uh, has had several scrapes with the legal system. Before he left office uh, in January, Trump pardoned Bannon of charges that he defrauded donors who gave money to fund construction of the southern border wall and now of course he is being uh, charged with contempt of congress yes um that's that's sort of come out uh, yesterday and is in the papers um again i have the the, the time story in front of me on page 55 well inside on the in foreign news um because the day before the uh, the the attack on the white house on the 6th of january this year so on the 5th on a radio program on his radio program um he basically predicted what was going to happen. Now, um, you know that that is can be described as incitement. Um, you know, this is this, almost like instructions. This is what I want you to go and do. And he said, you know, it's going to be all hell will be let loose and so on. Um, and not surprisingly, the U.S. Congress has said we want you to come before us and explain this. And he and he hasn't turned up. So uh, he is going to be facing criminal charges. And who knows? He might even end up in prison. Um, but. Um, uh, he's he's not my favourite person, shall we say? <laughs> um, we've got to leave it there, Stephen. But before we do, I understand that there is an important Russian anniversary. There is, um, of course. I, you know, it's always uh, I, can, I can be relied on to come out with something Russian. And today is seventy-four years. So it's not a big anniversary in some ways, but it's seventy-four years since the AK forty-seven rifle was approved it had gone through two years of testing and it was on the um, 13th of november 1947 that the um, kalashnikov kalashnikov indeed the kalashnikov the ak-47 was approved as the weapon of choice for the soviet army but of course it also the reason it's i think the anniversary is so significant is that it became effectively the the f weapon of choice for so many not only armies but liberation, um, liberation movements, particularly movements in africa fighters, yeah. yeah all around the world how interesting but what a better place this world might have been had that not happened uh, indeed but they probably would have found something else on that cheerful note, thank you, Stephen T.L. And that's all for this edition of Monocle on Saturday. Thanks to our studio engineer, Sam Impey, and our producer, Marcus Hiffey. I'm Georgina Godwin, and Monocle on Saturday will return at the same time next week. Thanks for listening.